on our last British tour, I, I was sick as a dog right before we went on stage. Uh, you know, projectile vomit, like the exorcist, the whole bit, like really horrible. And uh, went on stage. And I remember for most of the gig, I just felt, I felt, I kept thinking, I wonder if anybody would mind if I lie down. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. And this is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we, we drew the map. What's the recipe today, Audrey? The recipe today is we're going to go back to Miles Hunt and Mark Gemini Thwaite, and we're going to pick up where we left off. And we were talking a lot about food, a lot about drink, yeah. and we're also talking about John McGeeock as well, an old, old, old pal of ours, an old band friend of mine, bandmate. So we're going to, without further ado... Here we go. Both Milo and I are big. Uh, John McGeeock fans, and we did our little homage on the last album, didn't we, Miles? We did, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the, 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 when uh, when we co-wrote to, together uh, for the last Wonder Stuff album, so if I'd come up with the original set of chords and a, a little beat and a, a, a scratch vocal melody, like, can you do anything with this, Mark? And he'd be like, yeah, well, okay, give me give me a little bit of guidance, like, who, who are we looking at? And it would be usually, like, a handful of our favourite guitarists, so it would be either Mick Ronson, but usually John McGeeock, wouldn't it be? Well, just do McGeeock, <laughs> you do so well. Yeah, there was definitely uh, definitely the ghost of McGeeock going on. Like, we had songs like Bound, which are very, very reminiscent and inspired by McGeeock-style approach, you know, guitars, spellbound, that kind of thing, you know? Well, it's only just struck me that I caught you. You wrote that. I, I said you write something that sounds like it belongs in the Wonderstuff's arsenal, and you wrote the track that became Bound, which is very much Spellbound. And then it's only just occurred to me. All I did was take the spell off it for the title. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say I, I, I saw um, one of these YouTube, um, you know, kind of analyzing songs. And it wasn't anything to do with the songs. It was to do with two guitarists talking. And they were saying the best guitarists, in their opinion, you, you, you don't see their fingers move. It, there's such an economy of movement that you, 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 yeah. you, you don't really know what they're playing. And I know this to be true because we had to re get many guitarists after John McGeeock left us. And we had videos and we had clips and we had things to watch and nobody could figure out what fingering he was using, a heart, what strings were ringing, what were damped. Yeah. It, his yeah. hand appeared to do nothing. It was just... <laughs> didn't seem to move anywhere. Yeah. And yeah. it was... A, yeah, amazing. Amazing. The sign of a, a fluid, yeah, it, natural talent. Yeah. Very, very creative. Very creative. Yeah, and orally, it's just... There's it's so much move. That's why he's one of my favourite guitarists. There's so much movement and it's so strange and it's so unpredictable whether it was, you know, with Susie and the Banshees or 
magazine or public image limited you know he, he carried that style through everything it's like what the how the hell is he doing this yeah, yeah. i i always remember john after after a, a night on the town let's say he would turn up you know may, maybe i'd crash out at, at, at severin's place or something right and he'd come round in the morning with with soup and champagne and he'd say you know this this is this is a scottish you know cure for your hangover wow <laughs> it didn't really work but it was quite fun trying it. i think the, the scots the scots just made all this stuff up you know like haggis nobody up there probably eats haggis they just export it and go watch watch them all eat this dry blood and maggots and stuff <laughs> have you ever had haggis yeah, 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 yeah. Many times. It, it's really? interesting. Well, it's interesting. I I actually enjoy it, yeah. Okay. Favourite snack on the road? <laughs> <laughs> Curryverse. There you go. Oh, Curryverse is so bizarre, right? Yeah. Our, uh, our sound engineer uh, was reminding me of something on this last tour. So our sound engineer has been with us forever, Simon. I happened to say to Simon about seven or eight years ago, we were doing a gig, and uh, he said, uh, do you enjoy it, mate? And and I was like, yeah, but you know what kept going through my mind all the way through the show, and this does happen to me more often than it should, was that I'd got a scotch egg stashed away in the fridge on the <laughs> tour bus, and I was thinking this while we were playing, I can't <laughs> wait to get back to that scotch egg. <laughs> so... so what what is wow. the most mundane thought you've ever had whilst you're on stage? I think Scotch egg takes some beating, Miles. <laughs> yeah, Scotch egg. It does. It does. <laughs> to the uninitiated, so an egg covered in uh, minced meat in in breadcrumbs, yeah. deep fried. Yeah, yeah, and deep much. fried. But 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 the the, the genius version because you have talked about this on the podcast before. I've heard you have this conversation, yeah. and I want it. I'm I'm glad it's come up again because you were really had a downer on it, Podgy. But if you go to a good restaurant where they can pull it off, that the yolk is still runny. Yeah, that just begs that the question: mean. How do you do this? You know, the wow. garage forecourt Scotch egg is no treat at all, but. In a good restaurant, it's it's quite the feat. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to digress here a little bit, but I remember a few years ago I was I was in Memphis, and I I thought, well, when in Memphis, I better go and visit Elvis. You know, I better go to Graceland. I better go and see it. So we went over there, and. Um, Everything in Graceland, if you haven't been there, is exactly as you would imagine it. You know, like, really crazy. You know, because he's got the, the TV room that's uh, blue and yellow with three TVs. And then he's got this jungle room, which is, like, super crazy. But the really, really crazy room in the whole house is the kitchen. Because the kitchen is exactly like any 1970s American kitchen because and I figured it out it's because it was Elvis's church you know that's where he went to get the big deep fried sandwiches so nothing could look too weird it had to look like his mother's kitchen and it did you know, so you walk through the place and everything else is like bonkers you know but the kitchen 
is is the shrine and that that's where he was you know so. interesting yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I i went there as well i remember being struck by how small it felt the house feel it's on this huge oh yeah uh a, yeah, couple of acres of land then you got this little tiny house in the middle of it up on a slight hill and it and it all feels yeah. really small and you're like wow yeah. elvis lived here yeah yeah no it is it's very small and uh then did you go on the on the plane as well? Did you go the yep. Leeds, the Leeds and Marie? Well, That's yeah. small as yeah, well. Yeah, right. quite interesting. <laughs> and Elvis wasn't small. I mean, like metaphorically or physically, yeah. he wasn't small. So mm-hmm. maybe he had, did he have some kind of like you know um, ocular or sort of um, problem? Do you think he saw th- he saw things bigger than they were? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> my i remember going go, going on stage wanting not to be able to taste the thing that i'd eaten uh, I, it was i didn't want to have a reminder of what i was doing before i got on stage unless it was a vodka <laughs> or, or something like that you know, we before we went on, me, John, and Severin in the early days would all meet at the bar, hoping that Susie wasn't down yet because she was still getting ready in her room, and there'd be time for us each to get the same drink and drink the same drink at the same time, like to be as ready as each other. Right. Um, right. And that was great. That was like seemed really cool. It wasn't like a big drink. We just right, kind of like yeah. a little vodka or whatever it might be, a shot of beer or something. But it was when Susie kind of came down and got like, I want one too. We go, no, no. We and uh, but it, I suppose it changed when, when we realized we came down and everybody had been drinking differently. <laughs> That's when you realized, okay, yeah. this is not really, this is not the way it should be. You know, somebody's kind of like already like, hey, yeah. it's going to be yeah. a great gig tonight, isn't it? Going to be a great gig yeah. tonight. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, that was me. <laughs> I, d- I don't know if robert still does this but years ago he used he used to have it sort of like manage his uh intake as it were you know because we're playing longer and longer sets you went longer and longer and longer and longer and longer and longer and longer right yeah. and you couldn't drink so much at the beginning because you know you wouldn't make it through the thing you know you just f- fall off the stage or something so he would have right. um like 10 glasses along the front of the drum riser with varying uh dilutions of sangria so the first one would be mostly orange juice and a little red wine and by the time it got to the end it was like you know the last the last encore one was like supercharged you know and he would manage to drink his way through all of that come off stage and then lie on the dressing room floor for a half an hour before he could get up and talk to people you know so but if if he changed the arrangement if somehow you know his uh tech had, had moved the drinks in the wrong order that could have been a very interesting wow. night you know <laughs> so, yeah my thoughts going on stage um i i used to, the most banal thought i ever had was i wonder if my laundry's done <laughs> but the best thoughts i ever had were usually 
like you know from places that we played like we played at smith college in in northampton in america and that was where sylvia plath went to school so you know i was like oh okay this is where sylvia plath went and you know it was very you know interesting to me and it's an all female college so it was even more kind of interesting you know i was a young man and that miles will recall that on the last on our last british tour I, i was sick as a dog right before we went on stage uh you know projectile vomit like the exorcist the whole bit like really horrible and uh went on stage and i remember for most of the gig i just felt i felt i kept thinking i wonder if anybody would mind if i lie down <laughs> during the gig <laughs> like serious thoughts like i think i need to lie down and like looking at the set list because we were doing two sets and like looking at like halfway through the second set list you know two hours in thinking do you think anybody would mind if i just lie down for a bit and just like play while i'm lying down because i felt just so sick as a dog and try trying not to throw up um and uh yeah the most bizarre thought now when I think about it that I seriously considered if I could just lie down for a bit. Did you lie down? Did you manage to lie down? I didn't. No, I didn't. I managed to stick it out to the end of the gig, you know. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It was like some weird sort of stomach bug that kind of worked its way through the band. It was weird. Whilst on stage. It was very <laughs> weird. And and that now that was at Nottingham Rock City. Yes, Rock City. Wow, yeah. there's the gig. Yeah, crazy, yeah. That's the gig. That's the gig to lie down on, isn't it? <laughs> that's where all the angels had their, their motorcycles underneath the uh, stage, right underneath the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. still angels that do security there now. Mm. Yeah. So your your story of uh, wanting to lie down on stage, Paul Paul Thompson had had a similar experience. He he had he had broken his arm skateboarding, but luckily it wasn't the you know, it wasn't the arm that he needed you know, to do the complicated thing. So he could still sort of move it up and down a bit, you know, like this and play a bit. So um, he got very sick and he was on stage and he was thinking, I'm going to fall over. So two of the crew, it was like a spinal tap, you know, when the guy gets out of the, uh, the pod, you know, and they have to hold him up. They were holding Pearl up because he was going to fall over otherwise, you know, and they were sort of helping move his arm up and down, you know, the appropriate point for the last two songs of the set. Cause that, you know, and then he did fall down, but you know, it's just like had this 105 fever, wow. you know, he was like delirious playing and people thought, that's right. great. What a great show. Look, he's really into it. You know? <laughs> You'd be surprised what you can get away with. I'm, I'm still trying to get over the, 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 the sang, the choice of sangria. This is a weird one, right? There's like this. I think your your story is very uh, revealing of the um, the mental makeup of Mr. Smith. It's 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 a bit OCD. Very... <laughs> um, I, well, yeah, but it also has a very um, a very practical aspect, which when I tell you, you'll go and, and Miles will, you know, probably, you know. Uh, agree with this uh, very i because i asked him the question why why sangria you know and he said you can't drink beer and sing because the first thing you're going to do is burp straight into uh, the mic you know mm-hmm. so that yep. that's really that's really it and also you know it's not a great volume it's not a great large volume so you don't need to go uh, excuse me wembley why i just go off and right. pee you yeah. know so <laughs> yeah 
Well, that was going to be my question. As, as the as as the Cure's sets became more momentous over time, yeah, um, yeah. How did you manage to stay on stage without needing to go to the bathroom? Uh, and it, it, has this happened to anybody? And Erica, uh, our violinist, maintains that it doesn't matter how much you drink, you never want to go to the loo when you're on stage. And the other thing, and see if you find any truth in this, the other thing that you can't do on stage is yawn. <laughs> like you can't physically yawn on stage. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's very true. Um, in actual fact, I did have a method early on for for you know dealing with that problem of of too much liquid intake before the show. Okay. Um, we had one tour where we had like sc screens at the side of the stage, and they had lights that would light them up from behind and change them different colours. I we'd play a song. I think it was Grinding Hall, and, and it was had long intro, long guitar intro. So if I would give Robert and Michael the signal, hey, you know extra extra 12 bars you know just keep going keep going and i could go <laughs> behind one of these screens and pee into a bucket that was strategically placed there right because <clears throat> you couldn't make it off stage in time back to the dressing room and you know then back on stage it would be too long so i had the bucket brilliant but you know <laughs> the, the ld played a nice little joke one night because he thought you know it'd be it'd be amusing to bring up the the floor pars, you know, behind me. And then there was this, you know, gigantic 20 foot shadow of me peeing into a bucket, which uh, <laughs> the audience took in their stride and thought it was part of the show, you know, and, and I, I sort of came back and there was, a, you know, giggles and tittering. And I, I thought, I'm just, gonna, I'm just going to have to face this off because, you know, pretend it was all part of the thing you know and not not do anything otherwise you know i'll never live it down so oh. brilliant you know it's all getting very close to rick waitman's yes stories of when chris squire is having his bass solo rick would order in the indian curry <laughs> <laughs> and the, the the chow men the curry would arrive and chris is into the middle of you know like the, the, rocking out at the front there um susie used to throw up in my bass drum occasionally Really? Really? Wow. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Nice job for the tech to have to clean up. But that sounds that sounds like it might be quite a technically difficult feat because if you're still playing at that point, surely, you know, it would be projected back, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. No. Yeah. Were you kind to her and you switched the beat onto the toms? <laughs> Always. I thought, here yeah. she such comes. A, yeah. here such she a comes. gentleman. I know. Such, such a gentleman. I remember when I toured with um, Wayne Hussey and Craig Adams, you know, the mission, they would both have, they would both have buckets strate right. strategically placed behind their amps and they would routinely just fucking throw up into these buckets. I thought, I, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could wow. throw up on demand into a bucket. They seem to have it down to a fine art, you know? So throwing up yeah. is okay. You can't pee yeah. and you can't yawn. Right. Right. So that kind of that, that does away with any kind of <laughs> no no kind of weird sex on stage, really, is there? You know. Pregnant pause. Oh. Pregnant pause. Pregnant pause. <laughs> that's a, that's the name of my next band. <laughs> <laughs> that's the um. That's the the worst. That's the worst job. 
for somebody, you know, that's like, you know, who you you were, you know, Keith Richards vomit roadie or something, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who gets to carry the bucket off stage afterwards? You're not yeah. letting this go, are you? I can see yeah, this is the yeah. episode you yeah, wanted to have. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Let's get right down to it here. <laughs> no. Um, I'm out on the road. I'm out on the road with a little little uh, outfit called um, uh, Hercules and Love Affair. So that I did, that popped up on my Wikipedia page. Today. I don't know who does my Wikipedia page, but it's nobody all, uh, does. All the dates are on. Is that going to live with me forever? Probably will. Um, but it's nice to be back out great. playing live. I, I really, yeah, uh, really, really enjoying it. That's great. Will you be in the UK with this? Yeah, playing London, I think, at the August. Yeah, end of August. Uh, somewhere called ah, somewhere it's like a new place, right where uh, Denmark Street used to be. Oh, I don't know what's okay. around there. But, um, you know yeah, where all yeah. like the music stores were off. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you had like oh, what's the guitar shop and um, Andy's, Ros Morris and things. Andy's, yeah, yeah. it's Andy's, wasn't it? I'll leave you with a good story. Good story. A good story. This is last last story about Andy's. So, in the early days of the Cure, Robert had a top twenty guitar. You know, from Woolworths. That was what he played, right? And he was and he was absolutely devoted to it. He wasn't going to play anything else until you know he got a little extra money and he thought, well, I quite like you know the jazz master. I'm going to get a couple of jazz masters. So he got a couple of jazz masters. And then we walked, I was with him. I remember this happening. We walked into Andy's with the jazz masters and, you know, they were going to set them up ready for tour. And then he got the, um, the top 20 out of his bag and said, and can you take the two pickups off of the... Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, yeah. really? And put, them, and put the put, take the Woolworths pickups and put them between oh, no. the Jazzmaster pickups. And they looked at us as if we just, you know, <laughs> you know, committed some kind of immortal sin, you know, and, and they went, Over. what? what? You, you want the Woolworths pickups <laughs> wow. on the fender? No way. Yeah, and, 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 and he went... Yeah, that's exactly what he want. And if you look at some of the early pictures of the Jazzmaster, you'll see it. They did it. There. Wow. Wow. There. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, they did it. They didn't like it. They didn't want to do it, but cool. they did it. Yeah. Wow. So uh, kudos to Andy. It's right? amazing. Yeah. yeah, guitar geekiness rules. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's like saying, here's my brand new Ferrari. Now, can you put that Mark 1 Ford Escort engine in it, please? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. exactly. It sounds better than the one they put oh. in it. Yeah. Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. Digital marketing, Margie Taylor. Art and logo design, Justin Thomas Kay. Music production, Jackknife Lee. Curious Creatures is on the web and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com 
And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2022.